the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a Friday. It's good to be here with you again uh, here on the, the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. Welcome to the show today. Got a lot of things to talk about. Uh, let me give the, the rundown to you. Robert Steinbach is here, professor of law from the uh, Bowen School of Law, and his opinions are his and his alone, not necessarily those of the School of Law or the university. Chris Corbett is with us. He is a practicing attorney out of Conway. He joins us today because we're going to be talking uh, a lot of different law kind of things today. Special guest from up in the Jonesboro area is a State Senator Boy, I'm so glad I don't have to say state senator-elect anymore. State Senator Dan <laughs> Sullivan uh, is with well, us. Well, thank you. Well, yeah, I'm just saying, that guy, I hate using extra words that really, as far as I'm concerned, you don't have to use. But they, they said that that was the proper way to identify you, so I did. But state senator Dan Sullivan is with us, and uh, he's going to bring us up to date on uh, quite a few issues. 7.30 today. Make sure you're here at 7.30. Rob Nadelson will be with us. He is a constitutional uh, authority, probably the most potent person behind the uh, uh, the whole thing about, uh, us, you know, the state's convention whole thing. Uh, we're going to talk to him, but we're going to talk to him about impeachment. Can you impeach a president who's not imp- the president anymore? Uh, we're going to talk to him uh, about that uh, because you know that that's going on. Look, the, the, the chief justice of the Supreme Court said, I won't take part in this because the president's not the president anymore. So did that stop the Democrats and their their craziness? No. They're now pursuing Patrick Leahy, senator, I think from Vermont, as going to preside over it. Well, there's nothing in the Constitution that says anything about that stuff. So we're going to talk to, uh, talk to uh, Rob about that. We've got... A, I was just talking about another article I sent to Robert and I sent Chris, and I'm not going to talk about it today because it is so absolutely crazy. But it's only crazy if you're not with the crazies. I mean, that that's the best way that I can put it. Anything that anybody can think up anymore has validity in our culture. It doesn't matter if it has truth uh, or anything behind it or compassion or ethics. It just matters that somebody can think it up. It's almost like uh, who was the guy that used to say, uh, if you can think it, you can you can attain it. 
Uh, Dave, Dave, are we still talking about impeachment? Because it sounds like we're talking about impeachment. Because if you can just think up anything in impeachment these days, apparently, according to the Dems, it does exist. That's right. Right? We live in, well, I know we live in a fallen world, guys. We're all, we all have religions here. Yeah, it hasn't found, I'm telling you, Dan, it hasn't found, hasn't found uh, the bottom yet. You know, it just hasn't found the bottom. And I don't know what the bottom's going to look like when we get there. That's what scares me. Well, I agree with you all. Whatever people are especially looking for things that offend them. And they're going to find something that offends them, whether it's, uh, whether it's, it's real in the culture or real in our political world or real in our economic world. If they, if they, get, they get mad at it or don't like it, then we're going to hear a lot about it. Uh, we're hearing that a lot in our legislative session this time. All right, so I'll just give you a new bo- a new uh, uh, word for your lexicon, guys. Uh, transible. All right, just keep that somewhere in the back of your mind, somewhere, because I guarantee you, in the in the coming uh, days, weeks, months, years, it's going to become a really uh, hot word. In, in culture. All right, with that said, let's get Dan up here and belly up to the bar and the microphone there, Dan, and, and let's talk uh, about what's going on in the session. Uh, where are we with the, uh, uh, I guess, the Hammer Gazaway bill, which would not would make that mean that your guys' uh, uh, pieces of legislation uh, wouldn't even have to be passed? So what what's going on with Hammer and Gazaway and, and rolling back powers for the uh, Emergency uh, Powers Act that we have here in our state? Well, I think we're getting a lot closer. And, of course, they study uh, this day meeting Senator Hammer and Representative Gazaway, who've been doing a tremendous amount of work on this. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of constituents who say, well, y'all said when you get down there to session, you're going to end this this being the governor's emergency power. And um, it, it's much more complex than that because just to end it doesn't mean that the governor can't just do a new emergency order. In other words, he could do one today and we could end it and he could do another one tomorrow. Uh, there's also federal month dollars that are involved in this. You know, when we get we, the governor declares an emergency and federal money's involved, and we certainly uh, don't want to jeopardize that because it's our money. You know, it's the money taxpayers have paid in. So if we have a legitimate emergency, uh, we want to get not only the state dollars, but the federal dollars that are involved in that. And then what constitutes a statewide emergency, you know, versus a, uh, emergency, maybe a tornado that touches down in one or two or three or four counties even. Uh, that we need fast and quick relief on, you know, how do you distinguish that between a statewide emergency? So there are are a number of issues out there, but we're getting very, very close. And my understanding is that that Senator Hammer and Representative Gasaway uh, have been working closely with the Bureau of Legislative Research and the governor. Uh, There's been some disagreement on some issues, particularly whether the governor can just declare back-to-back emergencies, you know, how do we stop that? Uh, and there are implications, Dave and Robert, you, y'all might want to talk about this, but there are implications, not just for this governor, but for governors all the way in the future. 
you know, going forward, we're going to set that precedent. And legally, once you set a precedent, uh, that gives a pretty straight uh, guidance line to all the governors in the future. So when we, the legislature, get upset, and we want to, and righteously, I think, and we want to change the law, uh, then we need to be really cautious because we want to make a, a good change that is lasting go fo- going forward uh, and sets the right kind of precedent. Does anyone else want to jump in on that? Yeah, I, I want to jump in and just ask this question. Where did we ever come up with the term or the thought that because there is a uh, an emergency and the governor has the right to bring in certain laws or or rules or whatever to mitigate that that uh, that emergency that that emergency suddenly becomes one eternal and two bestows upon the governor you know basically the all the powers of a king where where did that come from i mean that's going backwards in thinking about law and jurisprudence uh in in our times that we live you know, I think, uh, good question, and that goes to the heart of the lawsuit, because that's exactly what the lawsuit says. You know, again, we've, your, many of your listeners have heard us talk about this, but at one point, after the governor had uh, restored the emergency uh, multiple times, we, the attorney for the health department was asked by Senator Ballinger, what are the bounds and what are the powers that the um, that the governor has. And the attorney said that the governor's powers were unbounded. You know, the governor gave the Department of Health unbounded, according to the governor, unbounded power to regulate commerce. Uh, that's in the order. So they, under those uh, conditions, that the secretary of the Department of Health would be able to enforce whatever they want on any part of commerce, not just restaurants, not just uh um, you know, hotels or not just stores, on all commerce, shut the borders, uh, make you stay home. Um, and then I asked in that same meeting, what are the, the timelines for that? And the attorney said boundless, that he can uh, reinstate a, an order as many times as he wants. That's, was, that's what the lawsuit's about, as you are part of, that says it's limited. So there's a disagreement. And when two branches of government disagree, then we bring in the third branch of government, the courts. So we're, you know, we're following a constitutional process there. Unfortunately, it takes a while to work out, but I think it's an important part. Now, what are the feelings of the legislature? You know, we had, I think, 15 or 12 legislators signed on to that lawsuit. Several citizens signed on to it, again, including you, Dave. Uh, um, but I think the feeling of the legislature agrees with the theory behind the lawsuit, because when you look at the hammer Gasway bill, it has broad support uh, among the people. I- I'm sorry, among the people, but also among the legislature. I think the legislature agrees with the, the positions of our lawsuit, even though they didn't join it, which is the uh, basis for the hammer Gasway bill that the legislatures don't believe the governor has unbounded power for an unbounded amount of time. I think uh, when this bill passes, I don't know what the courts will do, and Dave, or 
Robert, maybe you or Chris can speak to that. But when the Hammer Gasaway bill passes, and I feel confident it will, that it will end the emergency uh, after, I think, about 15 days and require the legislature to come back in and vote up or down on ex extending the, his emergency powers. It will also force rulemaking procedures that the legislature will be involved in the processes uh, of, uh, you know, what's open, what's closed, what can we do, what can't we do. There'll be a legislative process. Again, the whole purpose of the lawsuit. So, you know, we have parallel paths going here. The lawsuit on one path in legislature and the uh, hammer, uh, I'm sorry, the lawsuit on the court side and the hammer gas oil bill in the legislature. But both of them reflect one another. I'll, I've talked a lot there. I'll let you all jump in and ask questions or make okay. a comment. Before we ask questions, before Robert gets started or Chris gets started, let's get a break in. It's 18 minutes after 6 on a Friday morning. Uh, typically, Fridays are a lot lighter than what we're going to have today, but today is really, really important. Uh, and people need to come to grips with your legislature is your voice in the process of making laws. The executive cannot make laws, although they have been here in the in the last few months. Bottom line, there's a Department of Health in Arkansas that is over exceeding their authority of what they're supposed to be able to do under the auspices of a emergency. Important concepts, important issues to talk about and that you need to be up on here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you on a Friday on the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm not in the studio today, so if you're watching in, uh, if you're watching on Facebook, you're looking at an empty studio today. Uh, Dan Sullivan, uh, state senator from Jonesboro, is with us by phone. Robert is with us by phone. Robert Steinbach, he's a law professor, Bowen School of Law. Let me remind you, his opinions are his and his alone, and then in everybody's opinion is their own opinion here on this show. Chris Corbett is in Conway, and uh, he's calling in, and we're all together, and we'll get a call later on in the show uh, from out in the Montana area with Rob Nadelson, who will join us here on the Dave Ellswick Show, and we'll, we'll start asking questions about impeachment with him. He's going to talk about that national issue. But until then, uh, we're doing something that I have always prided myself in, uh, with this show, and, and that is talking local issues. And one of the, there's a lot of local issues going on in the session, and it's uh, getting underway with how much power does the governor have in an emergency, and can he continue to keep giving himself that power over and over and over again and give additional powers to a, uh, a department of the government, uh, for instance, the Department of Health. So we're going to talk about that with him as well. If I'm not mistaken, the Attorney General of the state of Arkansas, Leslie Rutledge, has has uh, come down on the side of the governor uh, in this issue, and uh, we can talk about that as well. So with that all laid out in front of you again, let me give it to Robert Steinbach. Robert, any questions you've got for the senator and uh, opinions that you have? 
Well, you know, Dave, I've always have opinions, uh, even if I haven't thought about a topic. And in fact, I have two opinions, one pro, one con on any particular issue. So let's dive into it. Let me tell you my frustration. As you know, I'm a law professor, as your audience uh, quite well knows. I'm a law professor. Uh, unlike, say, a professor of physics, if I were a physics professor, I would teach the laws of reality. Now, sometimes physicists got things wrong and get things wrong. We thought something was a quark and it was a such and such instead, and now we have better uh, machinery to figure things out. So, you know, the path to uh, understanding is a little bit tortured till we more closely uh, uh, tangent reality. But when we teach law, it's all made up, right? Because law are the rules that you and I and society agree to. And if we didn't agree to them, then they're meaningless. So think of it by analogy as like the rules of playing a Monopoly game. Do you get an extra $200 if you land on go? Well, only if you decide as a group when you're playing the game that you do. And so when we talk about rules of society, when, when we talk about what the words of law mean, we have to look, for example, at what does an emergency mean? What does it mean when you go to the emergency room? We've heard for years, all these people go to emergency rooms and they don't have emergencies. What does that mean? It means they go in with a cold. That's not an emergency. They go in with a chronic illness. That's not an emergency. Uh, and so that's a burden on our health care system. All this I bring up to say we have to have some common understanding of what the word emergency means on the margin. Is, is this little thing truly an emergency or not an emergency? Maybe. But in general, do we know the difference between an emergency and a non-emergency? Sure. The same way we know the difference, by the way, Dave, between night and day. Do you know exactly when it's nightfall or sunrise or whatever, you know, that kind of the sun's peaking up or down? <laughs> Maybe not. But do you know that midnight's night? Sure do. And noon is day? Sure do. And so when we see the governor consistently say, oh, emergency, wait, my order's running out, another emergency, wait, my order's running out, another emergency, wait, my order's running out, you might say to yourself, correctly, I might add, How's that constantly an emergency? What kind of emergency goes on and on and on? Or is that chronic? Is that a chronic disease? And therefore, unlike an emergency, where you have to rush out to the emergency room because it just happened and it needs to be addressed or you might die, when it's a chronic illness, you know what you do? You make an appointment with the doctor because it keeps going. And the doctor gives you some treatment and you come back in six months and he checks you out again. And you come back in six months and they change your medication, et cetera, et cetera. And that's Dan's and yours and, by the way, mine and Chris's complaint about this never-ending, I put in air quotes, it is radio after all, I've got to tell you, um, put in air quotes, emergency order, end air quotes. How can it always be in an emergency? If we know it's coming, we know it's past, and it's the same thing going on and on and on. It's something important. But it's not an emergency. Are our roads emergencies? We need to have the roads. They need to be paved. They stuck us with an additional tax that we will be stuck with for the rest of our lives because these so-called Republicans are liberal in this regard. Is that an emergency? No, it's not, Dave. And neither is this. 
We have to have a common meeting of English words, even if on the margin there's a little bit of fuzziness. And the problem is, and this is a leftist tendency, words mean whatever they say. And that's That's what you alluded to when you opened the show. So that's my thought. And and this is a a scary place to be when your governor develops his own lexicon. Because Mm -hmm. maybe your lexicon is not like his lexicon. We have to have definitions that we can go by. I mean, uh, Chris and I talked a little bit before we got going with the show. And, Chris, I'm I'm going to take us to the news, and I'm going to bring you back in when we come back and let you get involved in this discussion. And and this is the the key. You know, there there is one. There's truth out there. There's not many truths. There is one truth, and you have to draw on that one truth for your definitions and for what it is that you're bringing to uh, the populace. They have to know that what we're dealing with is the truth. All right, we've got news coming up. Dan Sullivan, state senator from Jonesboro, is going to be with us uh, during the show today. And so is uh, Robert, so is Chris, and we're going to continue talking about this. This is really, this is an important concept we got to get our, our hands around here because our very freedoms depend on which way we lean with this. So we'll come back and talk further about it after the news. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Special guest with us today, Robert Steinbach is here. He's a a law professor, Bowen School of Law. Uh, He joins me every Friday, and uh, his opinions are his and his alone and not necessarily those of the School of Law or the university. Chris Corbett is here. He is a practicing attorney uh, of engineering, is a specialty here in the the, the state. He's in Conway. And then our final guest is uh, State Senator Dan Sullivan, who has been, uh, you know, out fighting diligently against what I consider unregulated power in the governor's office and in uh, a lot state agencies, whichever, pick a state agency. If there was a, uh, you know, an emergency or whatever, if the governor said this state agency is going to call the shots, basically, he's the one that's given them basically unlimited power uh, to do those things. So uh, I'm going to come back and and talk about all of that in just a second. In fact, Chris is going to join us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. But what I want to talk to you right now about is about uh, Valentine's Day. I mean, we're only about uh, first day of February is Monday. So on Monday, you're 14 days away. Uh, Don't screw it up, man. I'm just telling you, make sure that that uh, special someone gets something special uh, from you. And the best place that I can tell you to go to to get something special is at uh, Hillcrest Designer Jewelry, a great place uh, where they can develop Uh, unique pieces of jewelry for you, whether it be a ring, a necklace, a bracelet, whatever, or if you just want to go in and peruse their their, uh, shelves and and look in their display cases, you can do that too because uh, uh, Eric Coleman has a ton, a ton of stuff uh, that's ready for you uh, to pick from. And price, take it from, you know, lowest price to highest price. Uh, I mean, you can get... 
things from chips of diamonds all the way up to, you know, carrots of diamonds uh, over there at uh, the great place called Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. He's close by to you. He's at 3000 Cavanaugh Boulevard, Suite E, right here in Little Rock. He opens up right around 10 o'clock. Uh, you can stop by, buzz, he'll buzz you in, and you can have a, 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 a short long conversation. That's up to you. Uh, or you can call him, 501-246-3655. Give your special someone, whether, it, you know, it could be your, your wife or wives, it could be your husbands, it could be your boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever. Give them something that they will remember this Valentine's Day about. Go to Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. Uh, it's 638. I want to get to Chris <coughs> Colbert, Corbett. Hey, Chris. Uh, hey, good morning. You've had, thoughts that you're having uh, as we talk about uh, this whole thing about the governor continuing to endow himself with, with power and other and, and departments with power that the legislature really is not having any say in. Uh, I'll turn it over to you, and then if you need to ask Dan any questions, feel free. Yeah, so what I'd like to give your, lesson, your, your listeners today, Dave, is the key. And some of these top dogs, these top legal dogs out here, I've been researching this for the last two years, and it, what we're basically talking about is a violation of the Constitution. Now, uh, we've looked at the lawsuit where um, you were involved and Dan Sullivan's involved. He went after him on violating um, the Procedures Act. Uh, that was a losing argument uh, with the emergency order. Um, uh, overreach. It was an overreach of government. Now we've seen where Judge Wendell Griffin here in Pulaski County, he's denied um, the lawsuit by the restaurants. They attacked the order based on a rational basis. Now we're getting deep into the constitutional law here, and basically the rational basis test is that the government's actions, if they're rationally related to a, quote, legitimate government interest. Now, what is a legitimate government interest? Well, it's, it's whatever they say it was. What's it, what do they say yeah. it is? And so basically, yeah, so basically what happened was uh, they said that the governor has um, a, uh, a power to limit restaurants that serve alcohol. Now, here's the key. Here is the key. They should have attacked this order based on the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. That gets them out of the rational basis argument. The government wins a rational basis argument because their actions of closing down the go- closing down restaurants are rationally related to controlling the virus. That's easily a legitimate government interest, right? Controlling the virus. What you have to right. attack them on is equal protection. Okay, and this goes back to why the equal protection clause was even enacted. The equal protection clause was intended to stop states from discriminating against blacks. You have to attack this and get it out of a rational basis argument. When you, you have to attack it based, based on a fundamental right. And the fundamental right is you're treating, out, you're treating restaurants that serve alcohol different from restaurants that don't serve alcohol. That's it. It's simple. It's right there. It's equal protection laws, and that's what's going to get you into the Supreme Court. Now, 
it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a year. It's going to take, based on the Arkansas Supreme Court's um, uh, summer vacation that's coming up, um, you've got to get in there and get some arguments in there about equal protection. And um, uh, it's going to be a battle. And then with, with where Dan Selvin's coming from, Make some new laws. Now, can we? Can you pass laws that are unconstitutional? Yes, you can. They get attacked on based on the violation of constitution. But you get down in the weeds there, and what's going on across the country right now is the constitution's being trampled on. And um, the state of Ohio, you had a listener that called in. The state of Ohio, this exact argument was made in a uh, a case here in Arkansas with renters, and the, and the, um, they're treating. Uh, Owners of homes different from renters of homes to conduct rental inspection searches. The way that argument's won is through equal protection, not a rational basis. The rational basis being the city of Little Rock thinks that they need to uh, run slumlords out of business because we don't need bad rent houses out there. The government, you need the government's protection to prevent you from renting a bad house, right? You need the government's protection from going into a bar at 11.05 and getting a glass of beer or a beer or a glass of wine. It's outrageous. And the the argument is equal protection under the 14th Amendment. Um, and uh, that's the winning argument, not a rational basis. So hopefully this okay. thing will be will get boiled down to there. All right. So let's take it back over to Dan. Dan, is that kind of how you're, you and others are approaching this? Because... I, I'm one of those people that would say the the argument of rationality uh, amongst government and amongst people of different uh, ideological thought processes, for some, uh, rational doesn't even exist. Your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, good point there. And, and uh, you know, I hear what Chris is saying. I agree with the strategic strategy that he's proposing for uh, what happens in these lawsuits as the citizens fight the government. And it's really unfortunate that, uh, as Chris mentioned, you know, that you have to have a government's protection to get a beer or a glass of wine after 11 o'clock, that they're protecting you from yourself. And that, you know, that's kind of what the, exactly what the hammer Gasway bill is doing, is trying to set some rational standards to this. Uh, and the rational standard comes from the representatives of the people who have an actual vote and what the laws are. We're the ones closest to the people. We're the ones that hear from the people when their restaurant is about to close, when they're made to close at 11 o'clock. And if we don't close the casinos, we don't close other large events, why are we targeting uh, these restaurants with such specific language that's gonna put a lot of them out of business? Uh, You know, I drive through Jonesboro, I drive through Little Rock, and I see restaurant after restaurant after restaurant closing. We don't see the big box stores closing. We see them with record profits. As a matter of fact, Dave, um, I'm working on a bill, we should hopefully have it next week, to return the fines to the businesses that have been fined for violating what they call good neighbor policy. Uh, the Department of Health calls it a good neighbor policy fine when you uh, breach some little protocol uh, they find the restaurant. We're going uh, to try yeah, to return let, let me, the money me, to those people. Yeah, let me stop you right there. Good neighbor policy. Who passed that? Yeah. Who passed that? 
That's not up to the Department of, of Health to come up with some BS terminology so they can go in and take, uh, you know, citizens of this state's money. That's ridiculous. Well, that's exactly. And, you know, that's uh, what the governor has essentially assumed was the power and authority. You know, the, legis- the governor in the executive branch, including the health department, have a lot of power. They have the police. They have the National Guard. Uh, they have the power to do a lot of things. The legislature has the authority. We're the ones that make the rules. We're the ones that set the standard. And that's essentially when the governor declares an, uh, an emergency, he has assumed the authority and the power. That's not how our government was set up. Mm. Yeah, what Dan, do you think? You're right on it, Dan. I've, I've got a spreadsheet. I, I fully was able to get a spreadsheet from the uh, Department of Health of all the violations that have been issued, and it is not Lowe's, it is not Home Depot, it is small businesses, Dan. It's And you're, what you're talking about doing needs to happen. I'm looking at several across Fayetteville, just um, uh, Leah's Le- 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 Salon, J&M Hair Salon, Hands On, Nails by Susan, uh, Emma's House of Beauty. They're just And what they do is they say, hey, if you want your due process hearing, we're going to fine you up to $1,000. However, if you want to consent to this fine and pay 250 then you can stay open and just pay this fine. Now, it's now outrageous. Say, yeah, let, let me stop you right there, Chris. They say consent. Yeah. That is yep. nothing more than you saying, I'm guilty. That's correct. But they, they throw it up against a potential $1,000 fine, right? What are you going to do? Yeah, and it's, you know, and you're going to say it's yes. Really, it's, it's the government bullying the people uh, into doing what, what the government wants them to do. But, you know, that's, that's pretty much how governments, um, big government works, yep. whether it's a an executive in the executive branch uh, putting pressure on a legislator to vote a certain way. And if you don't vote the way I want you to vote, then I'm going to find somebody to run against you. Uh, we'll cut off yeah. the money for your political fund. I mean, this kind of bullying and power broker uh, strategy is the way that a big government works. It's why many of us uh, want to reduce the size of government, let the people uh, have the power. And that's hard to do, but that's what our founders intended, was for the people to have the power and the people to keep their own money, which is where the power rests and resides. Uh, those are the foundational principles of our government, whether in 1776 uh, or you know, 2021. I agree. Okay, guys, got to get a break okay, in. Let's right. do that. Then we'll continue discussing what we're discussing. Look, the wheels of justice grind slowly. That's an old term a lot of people have heard uh, before. And it's true, except when people decide they don't want that to happen and they dodge around the law and think they are the law. So we'll come back and talk about it here in just a moment. I just want to remind you that uh, if you want to have a deep cleaning at your house, let's say it's uh, let's say you got a house that's uh, 1,300 square feet. Well, for 100 bucks, uh, you can have that done by St. Clarity Residential uh, Cleaning. They'll do that for you. Typically, it's $200, but we've worked with St. Clarity so that you can buy a, uh, uh, a, uh, a coupon 
for for better terminology, that gives you 50% off or will only charge you $100. Now, it's $100 up to 1,500 square foot. If you're over 1,500 square feet, uh, up to about 2,500 square feet, we're talking that it's going to cost you uh, a total of $150 because it's typically $300 to do a house cleaning of a deep clean. And I'm talking a deep clean. This is typically, you know, we call it spring cleaning, and you might do it once a year. Uh, The folks at St. Clarity uh, Residential Cleaning will do it for you once a month, every other week, however many times you want it done so that your house stays absolutely spotless. And they use, uh, you know, uh, cleaning uh, fluids and cleaning uh, powders uh, that will destroy the COVID-19 uh, virus. Now, if you want one of these, uh, I'm giving my wife two of these for uh, 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 Valentine's Day uh, to get the house cleaned at her at her whim, so to speak. Uh, all you have to do is call 501-492-0252. That's just the front desk. You call that number and somebody can help you. 501-492-0252. Get your coupon now uh, and get your house cleaned uh, the way that you'd like to have it cleaned, but you probably don't clean it that way either by professionals at St. Clarity Residential uh, Cleaning. A break, rest of the break, and then we'll be back with more. Uh, Dan Sullivan, state senator with us, uh, Chris Corbett, and, uh, of course, We've got Robert Steinbach as well on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, it's seven minutes until seven. Uh, Dan Sullivan, state senator from Jonesboro, is with us. Also with us, Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett. I'm Dave Ellswick. Welcome to the show. If you just joined us, we're talking about how much power uh, should the governor's office have in a, quote, emergency And how do you get to where you call something an emergency? Well, in fact, there's another word that you got to use before you get the magic key uh, to unlock the door into the next room uh, that says emergency. And, and Dan, that that word is? Disaster. Okay. You got to declare a disaster first. There has to be a disaster, and of course, most of us are familiar with the normal disasters that we have here in Arkansas. Of course, up here in northeast Arkansas, it's a tornado, and we had one sweep through uh, Jonesboro last year that was pretty devastating. The governor declared an emergency, and that gave us access to to state funds and national uh, federal funds. As that tornado hit Craighead County and Poinsett County, and I think think two or three counties. There's a difference between a disaster at a state at a, a local level and a disaster at a statewide uh, level. Uh, you know, for example, right now I'm just looking on a news article that came out uh, today that says COVID hospitalizations fall below 1,000, uh, and active cases also decline. So we have a statewide disaster because we have 1,000 people in a state with 3 million people. We have a statewide disaster over that. So I think my math is right, and one of you can correct me, but I think 1,000 people is 0.03%, not 3%, not 0.3%, 
that 0.03% of our Arkansas citizens are in the hospital, and we now are in a disaster situation. Now, I'm not making the call on whether or not that is. The governor uh, does that now. But those are the kinds of things that need to come up for a debate and discussion among the representatives of the people. And guess what, folks? Most of those are in two or three areas of the state. Most of those are in central and northwest Arkansas. Uh, we look at how many bed people are uh, in uh, critical condition. Folks, those numbers are way, way down. So now the governor's current emergency order is scheduled to end the end of February. And I'm hopeful that we'll have a bill passed uh, by then that will will require the governor to come before the legislature and have numbers like this. Folks, we have 0.03% of Arkansas citizens in the hospital. That's not in, criti in the uh, critical beds. That's just hospitalized. That's the number of people we have in the hospital now. Do we truly have a disaster? And how are we going to respond to that? Are we going to keep our bars closed at 11 because we have 0.03% of our people in the hospital? Yeah, I certainly hope we'll have um, a better consensus of what our response is, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, based upon real data, not based upon fear, not based upon what might happen, but based upon what is happening. Yeah, that's... That's a point that I'm, I, I want people to understand are these numbers, yep. because the way they're presented in the press, it sounds like it's a whole lot bigger than what it really, really is. Go ahead, Chris. You wanted to say something. Well, we about two he, Dan, as usual, nailed it. It's about fear. It's about fear mongering. You know, thirty to 40,000 people a year in America die in car wrecks. Millions are injured. There's not been a, a, a statute or a declaration of emergency in driving your car. The governor hasn't come out and told you you can't drive anymore. But, but he has come out and said, based on fear, not on facts, uh, we need to protect you from this virus. You need, you need, you need, we need the government's protection, Dan, right? We're going to trade our freedoms for a little bit of so-called security. And we can't have a beer in a restaurant at 11.05 p.m., yeah. Well, you know, let me, let me jump in there, guys. You know, I met with Dr. Romero last week over the mm -hmm. lack of vaccines coming into to northeast Arkansas and in, into Jonesboro. And I asked them because we, we were getting information that not that people at low risk were getting vaccines before people at a high risk. You know, people um, that are 70 and older or 60 and right. older. Uh, State, Senator, State Senator Sullivan, I got to hold you right there. I got to sure. get to the news. When we come back, let's talk about that whole thing about vaccine. It's an important topic to be talked about next on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, 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 hey,
Let's continue on on a Friday edition. Uh, If you missed that first hour, I'm going to highly recommend that you go back uh, and listen uh, to the uh, to the discussion that we've had here on the show about, uh, you know, you know, things that are really, really, really important to your personal freedom. Uh, If I ever ran for governor, Dan, I'm going to tell you, here's here's what my. My uh, placard would say, Ellswick equals Arkansas equals freedom. Because yeah. if, if you're not passing laws that, uh, that makes free men, free men and free women, uh, the bottom line is then you're not doing something right. Yeah, agreed. You know, I, I sure wish that we would get to the point where we were falling more on the side of freedom than we are uh, on some of these folks of passing laws and telling businesses how they got to run their businesses and all the re- uh, all the reach. And I've gotten into this discussion all the way back when when Governor Huckabee was here, uh, dealing with telling businesses that they couldn't allow a person to smoke in their business. That's not for the government to tell businesses about. That's for the for the person who's going to be. The uh, client decide whether they want to go in the business or not. Exactly. Yeah, you made an interesting point when you said passing laws. These laws were never passed. They yeah. were never passed. These were these laws were determined. Again, you get back into the power, the authority. The executive branch does not have the authority to make these kind of laws. In fact. Um, that's one of the reasons we're running this law about returning fines to businesses because there was no law ever passed. This was authority that was taken uh, by the executive branch to find these businesses. And when you look down that list, uh, you find it's mostly small businesses who are fined for uh, not using a tool to determine uh, for their staff to make sure their staff were uh, were act fit or not sick or healthy. You know how many fine how many times days we have the taking your temperature has resulted in discovering somebody had COVID? Zero. They have zero evidence that taking your temperature helps anybody determine whether or not you have COVID. Well uh, so these, your temperature your temperature could be up for a variety of reasons. Yes. Well yeah, uh, true, but they just they can't link it to COVID. Uh, So, you know, as I mentioned before, we are uh, going through looking at and trying to pass legislation to return the fines of people that have been fined. Good. One of the things we have to do, Dave, is is move some money over to return it because very few people ever uh, contest the fine and the Department of Health rarely has to return money. But can we jump back over to the vaccine issue? Yeah, let's let's do that because I do want to come back to this whole thing of of uh, fining businesses as well, and maybe you have some yeah. answers on some of the other stuff. But go ahead about the vaccines. 
Well, just real quickly, Arkansas, to Department of Health's credit, moved from you were 47th or 48th, somewhere down there in the number of people. Uh, we've moved up to the top 10 or 15, 16, somewhere around, where around there. So we've done a great job there. However, when I met with the leadership and asked them why we were not leading in giving vaccines to the targeted people who uh, were most at risk, the response was, we don't want to micromanage. And I said, wait a minute, we are have inspectors in, a, in an auto parts store making sure people have their mask over their nose, and we're fining them if, if they don't do that. But we don't have people to make sure that people are getting potentially life-saving vaccines. So why don't we move those people over to monitor whether or not we're giving vaccines to the people most at risk? So I really hope that these next data set of data will show that Arkansas is not only leading in the number of people who are getting it, and want it, by the way, but we're also leading the way in uh, leading the nation in people who are most at risk receiving the vaccine. So, you know, people, the listeners need to know that we're having those conversations at the legislative level with the people in charge and making those decisions. Yeah. I'll flip it back to you. Yeah, I'm with you on this, and, and I'm glad to hear that we're doing better. But to listen to their saying we don't want to micromanage, but we'll micromanage your businesses. Again, that's majoring on minors that, that in a lot of these areas. And it's yeah. and that's why that's why you guys have to be involved in this as legislators. And so that the people have a voice in saying to these people, stop this stuff. All right, cut it out. Let's get back to the important things that really will protect us as a culture. With that said, let me let me ask on this: uh, Do we know how much money the uh, Department of Health has collected in fines yet? And do we know what they're using that money for? Is it being, uh, you know, rolled back into COVID-related areas, or is it just put in the general fund? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that, but we have asked that exact question. I mean, when when we run the bill, because we will, um, I want to have the answers to those. In other words, we're taking that money and the fines. Where does that fine money go? Is it rolled back into helping our businesses that we're putting out of business? And let me let you know. Just think about this: if you are a business and your your business name hits the newspaper that uh, you have a COVID violation, a health violation, and you get fined $50, which one uh, is the most detrimental to your business? Well, I would propose that the most detrimental is hitting the paper at the health uh, Department of Health violation. You know, if you're a restaurant and you hit that list, people are leery of going to your restaurant. So I don't think these $50 fines, you know, I'd like to see the data that a $50 or 100 or even a $250 fine has has diminished the spread of COVID. I don't think there's any relationship at all. Uh, and I guarantee you no one can find, unless maybe it's in Switzerland or, or Uganda or somewhere, that they've done a study that finds that's true. Um, you know, I think there's no relationship with a fine and the spread of COVID. I just haven't seen it. All right. With that yeah. in mind, let's go back, go back yeah. to you, Chris. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, um, being in business and being a small business owner, for a business to generate $250 uh, 
uh, like a restaurant. Let's say their net profit's ten bucks. That just wiped out twenty five hundred dollars worth of meals. For them to pay that one fine is twenty five hundred bucks. There's probably some restaurants that aren't making that in a day. And um, yeah, the fine's excessive. It's crazy. How about a how about like a uh, twenty five bucks or a warning? You know, that's that's what needs to be considered. All right, Robert. You've been sitting there being quiet. That's unusual for you. That means you're thinking, which is not unusual. What are you thinking about? I'm thinking about the fact that the citizens of Arkansas are not a bunch of third graders with the government of Arkansas being the principal. And so, yes, we should move for a safe environment. You know me, Dave. I'm the guy that wears his mask to the extent that he goes out at all. I'm the guy that wears a visor. When he goes out, so and, uh, and boy, have, by the way, that wasn't government mandated. You exactly. did it, exactly. Uh, and so, uh, I, I also think that some level of uh, government uh, cooperation with the public makes sense. So, you know, if somebody wants to go into Walmart, no mask, and starts coughing and spitting on people, well, that's a problem. That's a problem. But there's a difference between government working with the people and, and government barking orders at the people. And when you start actually uh, penalizing monetarily businesses, and overwhelmingly, as Dan points out, small businesses uh, and none of the big businesses, I have a concern as to whether government is representing the people or directing the people. Uh, sometimes I've, I hear elected officials say, well, I'm here to serve the people. And sometimes I hear government officials say, I'm here to lead the people. Don't tell me you're here to lead me. Now, I've got I've got my own leader and he's not sitting in the government office. Thank you very much. Uh, and so uh, we don't need people to lead us. We need people to help us. And that's the difference between good government and overreach by government. Yeah, I would much rather see the government, uh, you know, give people the necessary information to make, you know, well-rounded and uh, weighted decisions about their lives. I mean, uh, you know, the government does that in a variety of ways already. I mean, there's all kinds of information, for instance, out about STDs and how not to get an STD. But they don't come into your bedroom and find you if you're not wearing a condom. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, of course. Of course. Nobody, nobody wants to jump on that one. I understand because it's a, uh, it's a, it's a t- I was, I'm getting some bad middle pictures, Dave. <laughs> it's, it, it, the Gestapo's know, at your door to do an inspection. Yeah, that's. but I'm trying to make the point that if we allow them to do it in one area, it's only a matter of a time before it'll show up in all kinds of areas. You're right. Well, you know, the government they, grows. The government, was, government was instituted among men to protect the rights given to us by God. Um, you know, we get that backwards. Sometimes we think the government is there to enforce the laws given to us by government. And that was never the intended role of the government and still shouldn't be. Boy, that's that's such there's such a huge difference in in what you just said. Those two different, uh, you know, definitions. And and I'm all about 
They're there to make sure we keep our rights. I mean, what, that's what the Bill of Rights is about. It says, leave the people alone. You know, leave the people alone. Okay, with that in mind, let's take a break, and then we'll come back and, and do more. Let me just talk about David Lucas real fast. Uh, he's got a brochure out you really need to get your hands on if you're 40 years or older, 50 years or older, and, you know, it's starting to weigh on you a little bit about what are you going to do uh, when you retire. And you don't start talking about and thinking about retirement, you know, a few weeks before retirement. Uh, you, you set up for retirement over a course of years. And uh, you want to make sure that you're asking the right questions, answering those questions correctly so that your retirement stays on track. Uh, David Lucas has a brochure you can get that will allow you to do that. I'm going to tell you the easiest way to get it. Just go to his website, davidlucasfinancial.com, davidlucasfinancial.com. And if you'll be one of the first 10 people right now to do that, you'll get that brochure sent to your home absolutely free. Remember that website, davidlucasfinancial.com, and the brochure, Preparing for Your Retirement. Keep that in mind and get one. It will be, you know, it can be a lifesaver for you, to be honest. So uh, do it today. All right, we'll take a break, and then we'll get more for you when we come back. All right, we, uh, we've got about eight minutes till we get to the bottom of the hour, and Russia will be there at that time. Coming back after the bottom of the hour, about 35, uh, Rob Nadelson will be with us. He is our constitutional authority. We'll, t- we'll make our move away from talking about local issues to talking a national issue and this insanity with the Democrat Party about impeachment of a president that is not even sitting now. And I want to talk to uh, the professor about that. And uh, I've, I've got Robert. I've got uh, Chris here with me. And, uh, you know, State Senator uh, uh, Sullivan, if you want to stick around, feel free and, and listen in what he has to say. It's really I'll probably drop off. I've got a okay. full day today. All right. Well, we'll let you, you know, get out of there. What other things are going on? I had heard something about uh, a... Uh, uh, money for a, a gas tax and it's been pulled down do you have any information on that well um not a lot but if it were pulled down i assume that there's already a pretty vocal group who are opposed to that you know our budget's going to be very tight in order to per- get tax cuts and we're really working at a number of things uh to find money that's um, you know, that is not necessarily being used to its greatest purpose you know, we had a vote yesterday on the tobacco uh, uh, money that putting up signs and having these little meetings, there's not really preventing, um, doing much to prevent the use of tobacco. You know, people know about the risk. People understand it. Uh, and I don't know that spending millions of dollars to have posters on the highway or have a booth at a, at a uh, convention is really doing much to prevent uh, death on tobacco anymore. It went ahead and passed, but it's things like that that people are waking up to and saying, do we really need to spend money in these areas? You know, I'm meeting with a, a group of uh, businessmen in Jonesboro today uh, to talk about what we can do in Northeast Arkansas for economic development. I met with Mike Preston, the Secretary of Commerce. Uh, you know that 
uh, uh, just one narrow program, but it's really literally tens of millions of dollars. 75% of that money goes to Little Rock and Northwest Arkansas. Northeast Arkansas gets 10% of it. It's the low-income housing. Uh, we're in one of the poorest areas, not in the state. Uh, our district one is one of the poorest areas of the state, and we're getting 10% of the money that the state gives and the fed, federal government gives for low-income housing, 10% to our entire district. So there's a lot of issues out there, whether it's gas tax, whether it's uh, other economic development projects that people are starting to take a look at to make sure not only are we spending it wisely, but what's the distribution of that money? Who gets to decide uh, whether I want uh, my money going to increase business in Little Rock or I want my money going to economic development in Jonesboro or in Little Rock or where that goes? But there's some serious questioning going on now about how that money is distributed. People are beginning to speak up. People are beginning to share that information with constituents. Uh, and it's really a, a, a good thing. I'm glad to see it. It's a conservative approach. Okay, so we've got uh, uh, a, a story on my Facebook. If people go to Dave Ellswick show on, on Facebook uh, from Kenny Wallace, uh, that uh, Arkansas conservatives appear to defeat uh, fuel tax bill HB 1030. So uh, if you want to go take a look at that, you can watch the video of it and hear what people uh, were, were saying. Now, Kenny makes an interesting statement within the story uh, that uh, maybe you want to keep your eyes open on, Senator. It says that a soda tax appears to be on the agenda for next Thursday. So uh, we might want to keep our eyes open about that. I have no idea now why. Uh, they want to, you know, put a 1% or whatever it is tax on soda. It's for money, but money for what? And as you were just saying, they want to spend money on things that you really don't need to spend money on. Let's spend it on the, the important stuff if we're going to spend it at all. Yeah, I thought that was to remove the soda tax. I'll have to look at it. But I thought okay. it was to end the soda tax. Um, but we'll take a look. But, you know, for your listeners to know, we're – You've got a, a group in the Senate, I'm sure they're doing so in the House, too, that are really scrutinizing the budget to make Good. sure that we're spending the money uh, for our worthwhile causes. Uh, I know my focus is make sure to make sure we're distributing that money uh, in an equitable manner uh, so that people get to keep their money in their pocket first and then in their city second in their county third, and if we have to send it to Little Rock, we'll consider that, and then how we send it to you know, our federal tax dollar, too. So those are all really critical points that we're looking at closely. All right, Dan, we'll get you back on next week uh, and talk further. I'd like to know what's going on in the legislature and what they're looking at about uh, maybe election reform and how to protect our our uh, right to vote and and keep it sacrosanct for the uh, the folks here in the state of Arkansas. But thank you for your time today. I know that 90 minutes is uh, a lot of time to give up to a radio show. Thank you very much, sir, for being with us well, today. Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. All right, State Senator Dan Sullivan.
and uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. Guys, we got to take a break. Rush is ready to uh, to give his uh, his opinion. He's ready to opine. So we got to do that. And then when we come back, our our buddy Rob Nadelson is going to join us, and we're going to talk about impeachment. There's been a lot of stuff said on on all of these talking head stations about this. I want to know two things. Is it constitutional to go out to impeach a, uh, a, 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 a president that's not even a president now and is a private citizen? And then, uh, and, and then two, uh, when you look at impeachment, uh, what if you're breaking all the rules of impeachment? Like you don't even have the chief justice in, involved. We'll talk about all that with Nadelson and ourselves in a moment. All right. It's 25 minutes until 8 o'clock. Uh, here on the Dave Ellswick Show, PI Roofing wants you to know they stand by ready to take care of your roof. And you might be standing in your front yard or on your driveway or whatever or in your house and you see no signs of a leak on your ceilings. You don't st- stand outside and you don't see a bunch of shingles missing or anything like that. doesn't mean that there's not damage being done to your uh, to your roof. Think about it. It goes through the, the winter time when it, it's getting below, uh, you know, 32 degrees and things are freezing and uh, that causes a lot of uh, contractions. And then it goes through those times during the summer when uh, on on your roof, it's uh, hundreds of degrees hot and uh, there's expansion and there's all kinds of things going on uh, with your roof because of the heat. Well, there might be things that are happening that are detrimental to your roof that you can't even see. So I'm going to suggest to you that you give a call to PI Roofing. These are the people I use. I've, I've used them consistently since I bought my house. And they come out and they walk my roof and they make sure that it's in good shape. I mean, I've had them out because I had some leaks caused by some other things done by other businesses and they've they've come out and corrected them and uh, then they walk across the roof and look for soft spots and things of that nature they look at the flashing around chimneys and 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 things of that nature to make sure that everything is um, the way it's supposed to be so keep in mind that uh let's let's work real hard at uh at getting uh a preventive maintenance done so that you don't have to worry about getting you know a full new roof or something because you didn't pay attention to things that were slowly going wrong so the bottom line is pay attention and uh, call pi roofing 707-3551 707-3551 that's the number to call uh, to see uh, what's going on uh, in the wonderful world of um, of uh, your roof. And uh, there are the people that can take care of it. All right, we're hoping that Rob Nadelson's going to be here. There may have been a miscommunication. I had asked for him to be on at 6.35 this morning, and he didn't want to do it because he's mountain time. So that's 5.35 out in the mountain area. So he said, they, they asked me, can you move it? Uh, to uh, 735 Central, and I said, of course. And that's what we did. Uh, But they, uh, being the booker, I'm looking at the date, and they put it on Monday for some reason, and it wasn't supposed to be on Monday. So we're working it out. Heidi's going to give the the professor a call, see if he's available, 
and uh, and can talk to us uh, at this time. Um, I don't know where the cross came, but it did. So uh, Robert and Chris, while he's uh, while we're trying to get things straightened out with that, uh, let's sit and, and talk about this a little bit. Yeah, I'm hearing they're going to try to give him a call and uh, and see if we if he'll. Uh, join us now. I mean, for all I know, he's he's sitting in his robe and house slippers. <laughs> so am con- I. Read, hey, Dave. You know, in the meantime, the why don't we talk? A- Go ahead. Why don't we talk a little bit about? We didn't have a chance when uh, Senator Dan Sullivan was on the line, uh, but he's introduced uh, a half dozen or so bills just this past week. And uh, why don't we run through them and also recommend to your listeners that they contact their state legislators and their state senators and tell them to get on board with Dan Sullivan's bills in general and specifically. Yeah, because Uh, they listen to that when people call them. Go ahead. Of course they do. I was speaking to some state senators about a different bill, and I said, well, I'm for this bill. And they said, well, I like the idea, but I'm getting some calls, so I have to think about it. So remember, folks, when you call your state senators and your state representatives, they often listen to you. So call them up, tell them to back Dan Sullivan's bills. Let me give you a quick run-through if I have a moment, Dave. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have you give it to me after a break. We're going to take the break right now so that we can call uh, Rob Nadelson and make sure if he can be on today or not. So you guys hold it. We'll be right back. We'll, We'll bring this up when we get back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Okay, we continue Dave Ellswick Show. We've been in touch with uh, Dr. not Dr. Professor uh, Nadelson, and we'll uh, get him to call in here. We'll talk in a moment. But, Rob, let's go back to you. What are, run through these bills real quick for us. Yeah. Uh, so Dan Sullivan introduced a number of outstanding bills, uh, a handful regarding the Freedom of Information Act and some bills regarding some other issues. He has one on the Freedom of Information Act that makes clear something that we've been saying a long time, which is these so-called foundations, you know, the universities and other big public entities set up these private so-called foundations in which they funnel money through them uh, to come to the public entity. And then they say, all of a sudden, well, you know, the foundation, that's a private entity. It's not subject to the FOIA. So the whole thing's done just to avoid the Freedom of Information Act, and it doesn't, even under the existing law, but Dan has a bill to make that clear, that these foundations are subject to the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, another bill uh, being worked on already um, uh, th- that's offered up, but it was worked on by the great attorney Joey McCutcheon, is to... Uh, create a strict definition of a meeting because we've had some back and forth on that issue. Uh, And so this will clarify what it means when members of a governing body meet and discuss issues relating to the government body. We don't want stuff taking place because uh, a couple few members get together at the Dunkin' Donuts and do all the business behind the scenes. So that's another bill. Bottom line, that's something we've talked about in the past, and that's why... Words and definitions of words are so important. Uh, Rob Nadelson right. is joining us now. That's Let's terrific. bring him up. Uh, Professor, thanks for being with us. I'm sorry for the crossed wires there this morning. But I really wanted to get you on today because I keep hearing this whole thing about the second impeachment and all that. 
and uh, people are saying that it's unconstitutional. I know you believe that it's unconstitutional. I've published an article that you wrote about that. But would you share with our listeners why this is even a concept? I mean, I, 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 it looks to me that it's pretty well laid out in the Constitution. How can you go after a man to impeach him for being president when he's not president any longer? There are two different issues here. One is, did the president's conduct rise to an impeachable offense? Right. And when I said that the impeachment was unconstitutional, that's what I was talking about. It did not. I mean, he explicitly told uh, his followers to proceed peaceably. Uh, He asked them to march or walk to the Capitol, which is something that's been done regularly ever since the civil rights movement, if not before. Uh, The speech he gave was a long way from the Capitol. Usually incitement is when you stand on the steps and scream at somebody and say, let's invade. And obviously that didn't didn't happen in this instance. Now, the issue, though, of whether he could be impeached after he's or convicted after he's left office, that's a more complicated one. Um, And I've got an article coming out of the Epic Times on that in a few days. Anybody who tells you categorically that somebody cannot be uh, impeached um, and disqualified after he's left office uh, isn't really familiar with the situation or he's arguing a case. Because I will tell you honestly that even though I was a supporter of the president in the past election, there is a there is a good faith uh, controversy over that subject, and you can make really good arguments on one side and the other. All right, so my question is, if that's the case, then, you know, Justice Roberts says, look, I'm not going to preside over that. And now they're saying that a senator, Patrick Leahy, can preside over it. I don't see that anywhere in the Constitution. Well, the president, uh, the um, chief justice presides when the president is being tried. Obviously, Donald Trump will no longer be the president. And right. uh, Chief Justice Roberts can read the Constitution. I think it's pretty clear that he presides only when the president is tried. So he withdrew himself. Um, having Patrick Leahy preside strikes me as uh, uh, in a bit of a kangaroo court because he's already expressed uh, a desire to uh, to uh, impeach the president. In fact, frankly, I wish the senators would shut up on this issue, because <laughs> when they when they uh, try impeachments, they're acting as jurors. They are under oath to um, uh, to judge impartially. And when they go on and on about how I don't think the president is guilty or I think the president's guilty, they are essentially disqualifying themselves, at least in the court of public opinion, as impartial jurors. So that's one of the problems with senators spouting off. Uh, Look, let me just explain very briefly why the uncertainty arises. The uncertainty arises because the Constitution grants to the House of Representatives the power to impeach, which is to accuse, and it gives the Senate the power to try impeachments. When the Constitution was written, it had been very common to impeach people who already left office. There was a famous case going on in the British Parliament at that very time, which was uh, referenced by George Mason on the floor of the Constitutional Convention, in which a former colonial governor in India was being impeached by the British Parliament. There had been impeachments in the United States after 
somebody had left office. It was authorized explicitly in some uh, state constitutions. On the other hand, if you look at the direction in which America was going at the time the Constitution was written, and you read the words of the Constitution, that seems to push you in the direction of impeachment not being allowed uh, after you leave office. But it's not categorically there. Uh, there have also been some precedents cited involving a Secretary of War in 1876 right. or a senator uh, in the 1790s. I dismiss those. I dismiss those because they're too late to have influenced what the Constitution means. The real question is, what did it mean when it was ratified by the people between 18, uh, uh, 1787 and 1790? And at that point, uh, it simply was uncertain. All right. I got one last question, then I'm going to let you go this morning. And that sure. is, it, can the Supreme Court take this up? before it happens or do they have to wait till it after it happens well um i think that very possibly the president will challenge the jurisdiction of the senate that's the way to do it um and uh if the senate rules that it has jurisdiction then the next step would go to go directly to the courts that's going to be a tough road to hoe for two reasons First off, the courts may take the position that we're not going to intervene in an interlocutory proceeding. In other words, we're not going to intervene while this proceeding is going on. Uh, we're going to see how it turns out. And if the president is acquitted, uh, then we don't need to get involved. The second reason it's a tough road to hoe is that the Supreme Court has generally said <clears throat> that impeachment is a political process and that, that generally the judiciary doesn't intervene. On the other hand, They've never had this case before them before. And I think you could make an excellent argument that fairness to the president requires the courts to make a judgment as to whether the Senate even has jurisdiction where the uh, where the president has already left office. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry Dave, to be so um, uh, uncategorical about this or, you know, wishy-washy on the subject. But I have to be honest with you. And I don't allow political considerations to affect my reading of the Constitution or the evidence. I'm being absolutely truthful as to what the situation is. All right. I appreciate that. That's why I have you on. I get. Thank I get, you. I, get, I love I get coming on. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for being on. We'll, we'll let you get back to what you're going to do this day. Thank you very much, Professor. Thank you. All right. That was uh, Rob Nadelson. That was pretty, uh, pretty interesting, Robert, huh? Yeah, 100%. And he brings out a point that I think is very important. He talks about those situations in the 1800s when the Senate tried folks after they were out of office. And you hear the Democrats say, well, gee, that's a precedent. And, of course, they're not using the word. It again goes back to the fundamental abuse of language. They're not using the word precedent correctly. When a court gives a ruling, a holding, as to what a law means uh, in the future thereafter, in other words, that further defines the law. Because ultimately courts are the arbiters of what the words mean. Sometimes we even disagree with the courts, but we well recognize that they're the ones with the power to make that decision. So if a body, the Senate, decides to do something and implicit in that behavior is at the time they came to one conclusion one way or another way, 
That's not a precedent. That's in the 1800s, a couple of folks or a few folks or many folks in the Senate thought the words meant this. Who cares? That's nothing. We need to know what the words meant at the time of enactment. And uh, current environment is relevant, albeit not dispositive on that issue, because the words in the Constitution may be different, and indeed I uh, I suggest are different than the words that underlined those other impeachments in England at the time. All right. Anything you you want to drop in there? Chris, because I know you, you've gotten to really enjoy I, when Rob Nadelson comes on. I love it. I love it. He's got, he's got what my old friend would say. He's talking with a forked tongue. He's got one leg on both sides of the fence. I, I, I'm coming down firmly on the side that you can't – it's to impeach a president. He's no longer a president. Uh, it's simple. You can't impeach him. It's over with, right? Um, uh, you know uh, – Paula Jones, there's a United States Supreme Court case that says that you can sue a sitting president civilly in the Paula Jones case, and um, that came down in 1997. But President Clinton soon thereafter settled it. Now we're talking criminal proceedings. The, the impeachment process is, is, in my humble legal opinion, is to impeach a sitting president to remove him from office, right? And um, he's no longer in office, so it's a, the whole point's moot. I, I agree with you. I've I've said on the air, if the Department of Justice wanted to open up a criminal case against the president uh, on the on the condition of sedition, that's a different story. Then they can do right. that, right? But yeah. at that point, they're going to have to present all of the uh, information in front of a of a jury, and I don't think there's a jury around that would find the president guilty of sedition when you as you heard Nadelson said he never said anything that told people to go burn you the know what down. That, that, that's interesting so let, let's say let's play it out let's have a trial and what if he's not removed what if he's not impeached right I mean what if he's not convicted of impeachment right that'd be well, interesting can they come after okay. him that way then yeah, I don't, yeah and just keep dragging it out right you know, I, that wouldn't surprise me because the Democrats' worst nightmare is that Trump comes back again. And I don't think it would be to run for president, but that uh, he comes back again and the people who love the man are going to listen to what he has to say. I think that that's going to be, act- very, in- yeah. be very interesting to see he's how it all works. He's an activist now, and, and yeah. he's going to be acting, right? Um, I believe he will be. Yeah. I believe he will. So what uh, what say you, Robert, uh, is what do you think the, the former President Trump's next play is going to be? It's a good question. Um, uh, Robert uh, suggested that he might make a motion to have the case dismissed through the courts. I don't know. That's an, uh, I'm not sure he will. Uh, And then, of course, if he doesn't, then the next step is a um, motion to dismiss in the Senate to say that it hasn't met the burden. That won't win because that will be a vote where the Democrats will have the majority. Uh, And then there will be the trial and that he will win because it takes 67 and there's no way that he's going to get uh, the Democrats are going to get 
those kind of numbers from the Republicans switching over because Dems have 50, 51, uh, 51 votes, in fact, uh, there. Yeah, they got 51 because they got the V. They got the VP. Although I'm not sure the VP votes uh, 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 in this. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think the VP votes. The VP splits a tie, but this is not a tie issue. So I don't think she votes in this. That'd be in. That's that makes it even more interesting. Indeed, indeed. Okay, guys. Hey, it's always a pleasure to have you guys on with me on a, on a Friday. We've covered a lot of territory today, but we've done what I always like to do here. We've spent most of our time talking about issues that will affect everyday Arkansans uh, in state legislature and, and in the in the future we'll be talking even more so about quorum courts and city governments and the like as well. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, Chris, thank you. I appreciate it, brother. You thank had you, some Dave. really good things to yes, bring sir. forth to us today. Same thing with you, Robert. You always have something interesting to bring forth. I try. Thank that's you, why, Dave. That's why you're a professor. Well, amongst other reasons, hopefully. Okay, so by the way, have you been given the okay to teach the Constitution yet? It's a good question. No, although the issue has not formally come up yet. Uh, but we, uh, I am trying, and I've already expressed my preference, desire, interest in doing so. And to be clear... The, the the practice at my law school has always been when an opening comes due that we allow an existing professor to take that spot. Let's see if that practice continues. I'm not saying it won't. That's my question. Because if it doesn't, one wonders whether that's a different rule uh, given the conservative nature of uh, my philosophy versus the leftist nature of most of those teaching law in general across the country. All right. Robert Steinbach. Thank you. See you guys next week. Have a great weekend. Monday, Power Panels in. Plus, we're going to talk about local a local movie that's been produced. It's out now. You can go see it. We'll tell you where and when on Monday. And that's coming up on the Monday edition of the Dave Ellswick Show. Have a great weekend, everybody.